90 minutes or bust. <laughs> That's, I think we have the title already. <laughs> I remember when people used to complain when the show was over an hour. Yeah, and then you just gave up on it. I got bitter, actually, because uh, someone was someone recommended my podcast on Twitter, which I appreciated, and which I will add, we are because people are going to bitch that I'm recording with you and I haven't recorded Exponent all summer. Um, we're going to record the next episode later later today. Uh, so I, I'm back. I'm podcasting. Um, but someone's like, oh, yeah, but the problem is, you know, all those podcasts go on forever. They need some good editing. I'm like, I spend hours every week editing our podcast to keep it to an hour. Don't let me in with Groover. I was very, I was upset. Well, I know what they mean, though. I, I And I, you know, it would be a very different show, though. You know, it's, it's, um, have you heard of this, uh, the Slack, uh, I think it's called the Slack Variety Pack. No, uh, I don't think so. It's new. Uh, yeah, Slack Variety Pack. If you just Google Slack Variety Pack, you'll find it. So it's a podcast that Slack is sponsoring-ish. It's not. The people who are making it are not Slack employees, but they don't even get names or credit. And this is all, you know, this is as as by design. But it's so, you know, it's sort of like um, the way that, like, uh, uh, I, I think, like, wasn't like the Milton Berle show, like the Texaco Star Hour or something like that. The Texaco something, you know. So it's just a right. podcast with the name, the Slack Variety Pack, and there's very, very minimal Slack uh, promotion in it. But it's like each little twenty-minute episode is like a series of uh, three or four-minute, very edited, like NPR-style segments. It's sort right. of like N- NPR for nerds. Right. Uh, and it's really good. I did an interview with them for an episode that's coming up, uh, uh, probably not in maybe like a month. seems like they're like a month ahead or something like that. Um, but I listened to a few episodes before I agreed to do it, and I was blown away. It's like NPR, very edited, tightly, yeah. tightly edited, which is great. And I love it, and I've subscribed to the Slack Variety Pack. And in theory, I could do a show that is similarly edited. I mean, and, and you know, but uh, I don't. <laughs> yeah. But well, I, well, I, th- I think it's fine. I think it's fine though because like to, th- this ends up being, I mean, you put it as like the director's commentary for Daring Fireball, which you know is is very tightly written and edited. So it kind of makes sense that that it's it's the opposite. And yeah, I think both serve a role. I mean, I mean, the talk show is great when you're like cleaning house or something, and it's or I mean. Now you know where I categorize you, right? Or driving, um, but, driving, right. walking on, you know, doing errands or something like that. No, it's exactly to me though that those two forms are very traditional in in radio, where NPR has been NPR and has done these tightly edited segments. I mean, for those of you outside the states, NPR is, is in the U.S. is national public radio, and it's very. I I, I would say I, I think it's outstanding quality and very well regarded, um, and you know. Like they have shows like All Things Considered and uh, what was the show that was uh, what's his name Ira Glass's show uh, This American Life This American Life yeah um, that are famous for, for you know the the quality of the writing and the broadcasting but also like they're tightly edited and on the other side there you know talk radio has been a thing as long as there's been radio and that's more like what my podcast is like and most of the podcasts in in, in our racket are like. It is it is funny that um I, I think we we have this mini discussion every time I'm on because um I think you you messaged me ninety minutes or bust and I think I just replied with a straight LOL. <laughs> I'm surprised it wasn't an emoji. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm a rusty. I'm a little, little off my game. Yeah, what would be I'm the... Jet, I'm jet-lagged, too. I'm jet-lagged, too. I'll get out. It's 6.53 a.m. here, and I've been awake for like six hours, so... What would be the emoji you would throw at me? The poop? <laughs> uh, <laughs> probably, like, the, the emoji with, like, the one eye open and the tongue sticking out. Right. I got you. You've had a busy summer. You've been... You were traveling in the States, and now you're back on the other side of... Uh, what do we... We call the Atlantic the pond. What do we call the Pacific? <laughs> uh, uh, the Pacific is is uh, the big pond. I don't know. It's big pond. It's... it's, it's <laughs> It's, it's definitely feels. a lot. It's a I'm, lot bigger than the Atlantic. I'll tell you that. I'm sure that's exactly what. Well, I know. In fact, I've done it. I I know what it feels like when you're flying over it. And it does not. Oh, feel I had like a particularly rough one this time because um yes I I mean it was just me and, and my two kids my my wife um every summer comes back a couple weeks early uh we've only done two summers um but that's like her her annual vacation <laughs> she gets two weeks with no one around um but uh. Th- I realized that I haven't done the, like, because my parents are in the Midwest, so go from Chicago to Taipei, there's no direct flight, so you have to connect. And I, cause prior to that, we were in Seattle, and then last year we did an overnight stay in in, uh, in Seoul, Korea on the way back. I hadn't done the, like, the one trip all the way in a while. And uh, so I forgot just how brutal it was. And to make it worse, our flight going got moved forward an hour and a half, and our flight going back got delayed, so it actually ended up being 26 hours door-to-door. Uh-huh. Um. Yeah, <laughs> two hours at the airport in Chicago. So yeah, it, it was, it, it was, it was rough. The kids were awesome. At, I mean, they're they're pretty experienced at, at this point. But man, it, it oh. was it was hard. O'Hare had to be O'Hare. Yep. Yeah. O'Hare. Yeah. yeah no my way. my parents my parents are in this weird spot. Like they're just outside Madison, but to the to the south of Madison, where they're far enough from the Madison airport and close enough to O'Hare, it doesn't make sense to fly from Madison. But that you have to. But that means you have to drive two hours to O'Hare. Which just adds a whole layer of stink on top of the entire endeavor. I was thinking of Midway, which is oh, it, Midway doesn't awful. make any sense for inter, you know a international travel. Yeah, I think that I, I hate Southwest, but I think most of it's because uh, in Chicago it's only Midway, yeah. which is on the, like the south side of Chicago, and it is just awful to get to. So um, I, I've I've sworn off that. It's good though. If for me, I've liked it over the years because if it, it's good if you just want to go to downtown Chicago. It's, right, that's right. You, know, you fly in the mid and and Southwest has tons of flights every day between Philly and, and Midway, so you have tons of options, and uh, and then you get off and you just walk right over to whatever the CTA and you get a card, you know, put twenty bucks on it, and it's like the end point for the I think it's the Orange Line. You don't even have to like pay attention. You just get on an Orange train, and next thing you know, you're downtown. It's actually pretty yep. pretty good. But for anything else, you know, you got to go to O'Hare. Best, but it's best. good though. I mean, the, 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 I mean, air travel. I mean, it sounds so cliche, but like, um, I, I used to swear off. Um, you know, I, I my phone. I've been doing this for what thirteen years now, and I swore off ever flying U.S. airline or the Pacific. But I've jumped full back in with United, uh, basically because they have all their all their cross Pacific planes now have Wi Fi and power at their seats. Which is it's unbelievable what it. I mean, yeah, I know the whole Wi-Fi thing has been done, but because they actually have satellite Wi-Fi, which works right. way better than that go-go crap, and it's rel and it's 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 stunningly cheap. It's like sixteen or seventeen dollars, and man, it it just transforms it transforms the whole flight. It's oh it's my god, this is awesome. gonna we're easily on pace for a ninety-minute show since we're <laughs> I haven't even touched any. Can I just tell you, I had the worst go-go experience ever. A few weeks ago, I'm trying to remember if it was coming home from WWDC. That would be months ago, but it was sometime this summer. Might have been coming home from WWDC, 
and Amy was out with me. We're coming, we're flying home on U.S. Airlines uh, slash American. It's all one thing now, but they've I don't know. It's, they're like in this weird one boat and one foot in one boat and one foot foot in the other right. stat, state right now. Um, we get on and I've I because of Philly. Philly is a huge U.S. Air hub uh, and has been forever. So I mean, it's that's where I'm platinum and that's where I fly all the time. Uh, and I always just book my go go when I get on the plane. That's what I've always done. And some I've heard that you're supposed to book a day in advance or whatever, and it just never occurred to me. So we get on the plane, and I'm looking at the go-go options, and there are no options to get service for more than an hour other than – and the hourly rate was, was uh, I don't know, onerous. It was really expensive. Other than signing up for a monthly subscription – and, and you can't, and then you can't unsubscribe, right? Yeah, when you get a monthly subscription to GoGo, uh, there is no way to cancel it. You have to call them <laughs> or <laughs> you email can't them do from a void. Um, <laughs> and it's fifty bucks. Oh, they're they're a terrible they're they're a terrible company. I mean, it's, it's it seems criminal. But I did have a flight later that month, and I knew I was flying at the. It was it had to be WWDC because I knew it was, it was June, and I knew I was flying again at the end of June. And I thought, you know, it actually would work out almost, you know, like the 50 bucks isn't that bad. So I did it. Um, I felt so bad, but I was watching. It was so fun. It, it felt bad, but I was watching this woman one row up across the aisle from me on her tablet. Um, and I think it was actually, it was interesting for a few reasons. I think, I think it was a, a Kindle tablet, not an iPad. And it's very unusual for me to see people using tablets on you know regular consumer type people using consumers that are on ipads and all she was doing was over and over and over again trying to get on the wi-fi and get the you know just let me pay for wi-fi for this flight and she's looking at the options and she's like and i could see and she was like reading all the fine print and thinking you know i could see what she was thinking you know that there must be some little fine print thing like click here to just get a pass for this flight and she right. couldn't find it she spent like 25 minutes trying to sign up yeah. for wi-fi well, it, it, what's bad is, I mean, they, they obviously have a monopoly and a captive audience, and all that sort of stuff, and all you know, no real incentive to provide decent service. But the uh, the thing that's kind of nasty is, I, I use them. Um, I used to use them a lot when I, I used to travel a lot uh, with Microsoft, and so I had like a monthly account or whatever like right. that. And so I experienced the impossible to cancel thing. Um, but they now, if you sign up, they opt you into storing your credit card with them and give you no option to opt out. Right. And so, like, they will keep your credit card no matter what. And then, so I, I, I bought it, and then I logged in and immediately removed my credit card. And needless to say, four days later, I get on a return flight, and my credit card's still there. <laughs> so not only do they opt you in without without giving you an option, they actually failed or lied to actually remove what I told them to. Yeah, they're they're a, they're an awful company. And I, the satellite based stuff is so much better. I, I think they're launching satellite service, but yeah, I hope they die. I mean, they're. They're, uh, it's really bad. They're, uh, the only thing bad. that's good about the monthly plan is it seems like if you if you do agree to this fifty dollar a month thing, you can then like have your laptop on and uh, get your if you're put it away under a seat or something, and then you get out your iPhone, you can get on with your iPhone, and then when you go back to your iPad, it's still on, as opposed to the every time you log on with a second device, you're logged out of the previous device that you. Oh, interesting. Get. That uh, that's nice. Yeah, for sure. Uh, All right. Well, we're 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 not gonna we we have to do this ninety minute thing. Yeah, so. we're gonna get it. We'll make it. Uh, best best. Flight, it's not, like, not, not like anything happens in August. So. Best customer service flight experience I've ever had was a Southwest flight out of um, 
uh, at a midway. And it was at one of the C4 conferences. So it was probably like 2007 or 2008. And in Philadelphia, the subway lines are colored and like the blue line runs uh, east-west, orange line runs north-south. And there aren't, like, there aren't multiple colors on the same track. And I knew from previous years that to get out to Midway, you, there's, I knew which, it was this, you know, because it was the same hotel. You go to this station, go up the steps, and uh, take an orange train on the right. And that'll be going the right direction. I, was, I remembered it. And so it was me and another guy who was at the conference, actually. And um, actually, I guess I was the one who raced up. I raced up the stairs, and there was a train already there. And I was like, this is my lucky day. And I jump into the train, and I look, and I recognized a face from the C4 conference, like a somebody else who attended didn't know him uh i think he knew who i was uh so i sat down and we just started talking and you know we made quick friends and it was like a great way to pass the time and then all of a sudden i thought you know this is taking longer than it usually does and we like <laughs> we look out the window and it does not look anything like what i remember the trip to midway looking and it ends up that in chicago they have multiple colored trains that take the same the track. same line right Actually, maybe it was my fault. It might have been that we were going up the steps together, and I told him, quick, get on, <laughs> now that I think about it. Uh, if you're out yeah, there... If you're, if you're down in the loop, yeah, they're, they're all on the same track. I don't remember uh, this fellow's name, but if you're out there listening to the show and you remember this, I'm very sorry. Uh, well, it ends up we were way out in North Chicago, and it was not a good neighborhood. Uh, and we asked, uh, got off, we recognized our mistake, got off. And I asked a CTA employee, Hey, what's, is there any, you know, what's the best way we can get a cab? And they were like, get back on the train and go all the way back downtown. <laughs> and I'm like, are you joking? And they're like, you, there are no cabs out here. This is, there's no cabs. Um, uh, so that's really, and I was like, are you serious that that's like the best way? And they're like, yeah, the best way for you to get to Midway would be to get back on the same train you were just on going the other way, go all the way back down to where you were and wait for the train that you should have gotten on. Uh, so I'm doing this. I pick, take out my cell phone and call Southwest. And I'm thinking I am screwed. Uh, I, you know, and, you know, Daring Fireball was just barely off the ground. Like, you know, rebooking for hundreds of dollars more was going to be seriously like, an expense right. that I was not prepared for. I call Southwest and tell him, and and the woman says, um, "I got, I have another flight leaving uh, seventy minutes after the one you were on. How about that one?" And I was like, "Yeah, how much is it going to cost?" She goes, "Nothing." <laughs> and I was like, "Really?" And she was like, yeah, "Yeah, it's the same price." So don't that, worry about that, it. That will make you. That will make you a a happy customer for a very long time. I was like, "That's I'm going to be about an hour late, so that is absolutely perfect." And she was like, "Okay, thanks for flying Southwest." And it, <laughs> and it took like three minutes, and I went from having an absolutely horrible day to having uh, I actually felt better than if I had just made my flight. Dude, that's the thing. That is the thing about customer service. That that it, w there's two things I think about customer service and also about like just buying stuff. Um, that makes such a difference. I mean, a good service experience can actually make something better than it was originally. Like even yeah. if you're dealing with like a broken product or something like that. Um, I had to do the, uh, you know, I had to do the, the, I, I also got my Apple watch replaced. I think we, we talked about this, um, on Twitter or whatever, uh, the Taptic engine was failing, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's still, it's still not the, uh, you walk in and they give you a new one on the spot because they, now they have to mail them in with the watches, but still it, it took two days and they called me up and they gave me a brand new watch. And like the fact I didn't have to like hassle them about it or like, you know, it's, it's just, it, it makes a big difference for sure. Yeah.
but but that it's interesting though you mentioned the the uh I, i'm gonna i'm gonna hijack the conversation okay um because that's why you're here obviously a big thing about <laughs> if you were up in the middle of nowhere was now you could call an uber much more easily and they're they're much better at serving you know serving underserved areas than than cabs have ever been yeah um, I, I do i wonder about that yeah well well what, the uber thing's interesting in general but i do hope at some point we get to the um the Uber, this is a long extended segue to like cars and ride sharing and all this. And I am, I would love to get your thoughts about the, the seemingly all but confirmed Apple car, because I am still a little baffled about the whole thing, but we don't yeah. need to do now, but I, 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 I would love to. Yeah. Well, with you uh, why don't I take a moment here as we, as we rock it towards our 90 minute, uh, episode length i'll take a moment here and thank our first sponsor and then we can do that we can just talk about the apple car stuff that's popped up in the last month or so because i don't think i've talked about it and i know you haven't because um you've been off the air but let me take a moment and thank our first sponsor it's our good friends at harry's uh go to harry's.com and use the promo code the talk show and you'll save five bucks off your first purchase what do they sell harry's offers high quality razors and blades for a fraction of the price of the big name razor brands. Harry's was started by two guys who wanted a better product without paying an arm and a leg. Um, the story I remember hearing was that one of the founders was, you know, like traveling or something, forgot his razor, went into, a, you know, the drugstore, big name drugstore right next to the hotel he was staying at and couldn't even get it because the, the blades and everything were locked behind those plexiglass cabinets with a, uh, padlock and you have to find an employee of the store and get them to come over and unlock the padlock and then you get to actually buy the stuff and it's like why can't i just buy this stuff um and that's where he got the idea that you know this is a perfect thing to sell online um really really serious company though they make their own razor blades they bought an old blade factory in germany they were buying the blades from them and they liked the blades they were getting so much they just bought the the factory it must be nice if you can do that. <laughs> These are high-quality, high-performing German blades crafted by shaving experts, giving you a better shave that respects your face and wallet. They offer factory direct pricing. That's how they that's how they sell these the these quality blades so much cheaper because they make them in their factory and then they package them up and then they just ship them right to you and there's no middleman no distributors no retailers nothing like that that's how they cut the price in half and it really is about uh half the price their starter set is an amazing deal 15 bucks gets you a razor moisturizing shave cream or gel your preference and three razor blades i got my uh starter kit Years ago, whenever if you've been listening to the show for a long time, you know how long Harry's has been a sponsor. They sent me one of these years ago when I first got started, and I, I I've looked at it recently. It looks brand new. It looks absolutely like mint condition. It really does hold up. And I just you know keep it on a shelf in the shower. I mean, it's not even uh, it's not like I baby it or anything like that. Really high quality stuff. Um, replacement blades are two bucks each or less. You can get eight pack for 15 bucks, 16 pack for just $25. Uh, really, really great stuff and really nice packaging, great heavy feel to the blade. Everything is just really nice. My dad out of the blue, unprompted by me, I guess he, he like loads my website. I don't know, once a week or something like that, just to see what I'm up to. Uh, uh, not the sort of person who who buys stuff like this online. Uh, he told me he's he he uh, 
he saw that they were a sponsor of my thing. I swear to God, I didn't tell him, go buy this. He went and did it on his own. He was like, man, this is really nice. Uh, so there's a testimony. Uh, my dad, Bob Gruber, <laughs> tells you that Harry's uh, razor blades and shaving cream are really nice. Also, my dad is a notorious uh, cheapskate. Does not listen to the show. I hope he doesn't. Um, but he does, he's, he's pretty tight-fisted. Uh, thought it was a great deal. In fact, I don't think he would have done it if not. So uh, there you go. There's a testimony from my dad. Go check them out. Uh, like I said, go to harrys.com and use the promo code TALKSHOW. No, no the. I don't know what I said at the beginning of the read, but I'm at the end here. Uh, just remember, talk show, no the. And you will save five bucks off your first purchase. So that $15 starter kit is just 10 bucks. My thanks to Harry's. So, so how did you end up uh, with a Mac way back in the day? If your if your father was a notorious cheapskate? Oh, that's a great that's a great uh, question. Well, uh, first part is, and I've told this before. Uh, when I was growing up, I did not own a computer, um, and uh, because my my parents would not buy me one, and a lot of my friends were having trouble getting their parents to buy them a computer. They were you know relatively expensive in the eighties. And the, the line most of my friends got was, I'm not going to spend all that money. You're not going to use it. And my parents' explanation to me was, we're not going to buy you a computer because if we do, you're never going to leave the house. <laughs> this is true. Uh, and I resented it deeply because I wanted nothing in the world more than a computer. But I, I have to say that there was, you know, there's some merit to their argument. And they, in some ways, knew me better than perhaps, you know, I, I know myself. And I, uh, uh, you know... I don't know. I certainly read a lot more books and novels as a teenager than I would have if I owned a computer. Um, that, that's interesting because, like, I I, I tended to, to kind of like um, resent my parents for a similar reason. Like, they I didn't really, you know, have access to a computer or was never really pushed in that direction. Even though, like, you know, kind of wonder like, well, if I had been into that before I went to school, like, what you know, what track would I be on now? Would I be, you know, a, a a programmer would I have started my own company or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And um, obviously in, in the end, it ended up working out pretty well to end up having much more of a kind of literary background, a lot of reading, um, a lot of writing. I did the student paper thing as well. Uh, but it's interesting. You, you kind of put it like, say that word resentment. Cause it's something I've thought about as well. It's like, but it actually, yeah, probably turned out for the best. Yeah. And then in high school, now I did have a good, pretty good computer science uh, teacher in, in high school and we had a little lab um mostly apple i guess by the time i got to high school they were mostly apple two gs's and i think there was one macintosh um and i I, de I appreciated the macintosh greatly i really did and i enjoyed my time on it um but i chose to spend most of my time on the two gs because that's where i was most familiar and that and for writing you know the programming assignments i had i was most familiar with the the tools um but then when I went to college in 1991 at Drexel, you had to have access to a Macintosh. Now, that didn't mean you had to buy one because there was a lab. But, I mean, right. effectively, though, it was highly recommended that all incoming freshmen buy one. And the student discounts at the time were tremendous. I think it was like close to 50% off. It might have been like 40% off. Nice. So I got, I got a, a Macintosh when I was a freshman in college. And it was a big reason. That I, one of the reasons I wanted to go to Drexel is that I I knew that if I got a computer when I was a freshman, I certainly wanted it to be a Macintosh. Interesting. That's oh, funny. I mean, my my parents uh, uh, tend to be uh, more on the uh, frugal side as well. We sh shall we say? Um, 
I don't know. It's funny. I I, I, w- I would not normally think of you as being frugal. Um, oh, I'm not. Nor <laughs> nor of myself. No. So it just it's it we're, we're, we we uh, I think had a similar reaction to that. No, my sister is though. My sister's two years. Oh, my me, sister and, is the same way. She's yeah. a, she's incredible. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, you know. Knows where everything is. You know. Actually balances the checkbook, et cetera, et cetera. Knows, right. knows which I, store has you know certain items that are cheaper than at the other store. Whereas I'm so grateful for like I honestly want to switch all my all my uh, credit card usage to American Express just because they actually their Apple Pay implementation actually shows every single charge. Whereas like I have I also have like a, a couple other cards they only show the charge on your phone when you charge it with your using Apple Pay, but American Express every single charge with the card will show on your phone as a notification. Yes. Yeah. Which I think is great because I, I, love I don't want to I don't want to be bothered to like go through my statement every month and like right. make sure there aren't fraudulent charges. So like the fact that it pops up every time uh, is fantastic. Um it, it, it irks me that only American Express does that. Uh I totally love that. Now is that that yes, and I I I know exactly what I was where I was going with this. So that only works though with um with Apple Pay. Even though it, like you said, it you have to have an Apple Pay device, and that means, um, like for the couple of weeks over the last year, where I've switched back to my iPhone 5s for testing. Like when I first started testing iOS nine, I didn't want to put it on my six, so I put it on the 5s. And I swear, not the size of the screen. It the biggest thing that I missed was getting those uh, Amex notifications. I honestly, if there yeah. was a day where I, I my heart skipped, and I thought, wait a minute, is this busted i'm not getting oh, i was like oh it's because it goes through it doesn't go through the amex app it goes through apple pay yeah it, and uh the what they call the wallet now but used to be called passbook well it's wallet in, in is it no it's still passbook on ios 8 which well, by the way um i i, I never re- yeah it's gotten a i i haven't put it i haven't installed ios 9 yet i never installed anything early you're <laughs> smart but i'm so used to ios 9 that i'm talking about it as though it's the present version it's that yeah good but to i me. Passbook has gotten um, it, even even on iOS eight, it's so much better than it used to be. Uh, I've been I've actually been pretty impressed with it. Dude, does iOS nine fix the uh, removing flights or hotel stays that you've already done, like in the past? Mm, no, I don't think so. Ah, that's like the one killer. But like the it whole like do them automatically. Yeah, because they stay in there. You have to you have to dismiss each individually. Which if you're traveling with your family and you have like four. If you have four tickets on your passbook, you have to go through and dismiss each one individually, which is really annoying. Yeah, I but that said, the, the way the way it like uses location and time data to like have the thing there instantly available, oh man, I, I've been very impressed and and happy with it. Yeah, I, I really really missed it when I went back. Uh, so anyway, that's how I got started with the Mac in 1991. Even though I knew it from the 80s, you know, from having used it, it spent some time on it in high school. What about you? Uh, I, I started out with, uh, when I went to school, I built my own PC, um, and I actually started a little business on the side, putting PCs together for, for people. I was like, you know, Michael Dell prodigy or something. Um, but, uh, no, I, so I put, put together my own PC and upgraded it with different parts and all that. That was that I did that all the way through school. And then, uh, I didn't get a Mac. I got a Mac when I, I came to Taiwan in 2003 and I think I had a laptop that I'd bummed off like an ex-girlfriend or something i think it was broke i'm like if i fix it can i have it um 
and and I did fix it, and then she wanted it back, and then I had it, and you'll say at some point she could be my ex-girlfriend. I don't think it was about that. <laughs> um, but but, uh, but yes, around that time, actually, it was when the, uh, the first, like, flat screen iMac came out uh not the not the not the one with the arm the one where like the screen was the computer yeah. um it was all white and like i just thought that was just awesome uh and i'd used a mac a bit um in 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 school but i mean mainly at the newspaper to do layout uh but uh but not not much but i thought that computer was so cool and i liked it so much that i ended up uh buying an ibook i don't know i don't know what happened in the in the transition to buying that but I mean, I was—I didn't have any money then at all. I think it was probably just a matter of that was—that got me in the door. So that was when Tiger, around Tiger, I think actually I think it was Panther. I think Tiger came out like a couple months after that, and uh, and yeah, I used a Mac pretty much since then. I was the you know head of like the Mac Club at Kellogg, like because back um, you know helping people like actually Kellogg being a business school, you know they provided they had Windows PCs, but to use a Mac, you know, was a little a little more difficult. And so it kind of blew everyone's mind when I left Kellogg to go work at Microsoft because I was kind of known as the the Mac Apple guy. Um, but uh, but yeah, Microsoft is good. Windows Windows I think um, it's this is really interesting actually. Windows isn't that isn't that bad. There's things I like about it better than than a Mac. Um, some of the window management stuff I think is really is actually pretty great. And actually I've installed a couple of utilities on on the Mac to to replicate some of it and what it's called better snap tool. It lets you basically move windows around with the keyboard. Hmm. Um, it's, it's pretty great. Um, there's a free, free endorsement. Uh, the problem with windows, and this is kind of counterintuitive was the app situation, application situation, like the third party apps just all sucked. Uh, obviously the Microsoft apps were good and much better on windows than they are there they are on the Mac, but things like, um, OmniFocus or uh, or like a Twitter app, like just all this like basic stuff. Uh, the Mac was even back in back then um, was I guess it wasn't that long ago, but it was so much better than than the Windows situation where everything at best you could find something third party, but it'd be super ugly. Um, you know, just look like crap, and they'd have like the monetization would be weird. Um, that so actually the biggest problem I had with using Windows was not Windows it was not having enough apps which was which at the time I told some people that and they like totally didn't believe me like, oh no that's the big advantage Windows has but even by then for a consumer sort of I wasn't consumers working in enterprise obviously but but for personal app usage uh, the situation was was pretty dire even then and obviously it's it's only gotten worse since then yeah have you ever used uh, Moom. It's a couple of these utilities. M O O M. I haven't. I, I don't use it. I don't. But if I were to use a Windows management utility, I, it's probably what I would get. I'll put some links in here. It's just another yeah. uh, utility. You know, I I kind of agree. I don't. I don't use any third party utilities for that anymore. But uh, I do kind of agree that managing a bunch of open windows on OS ten with the stock stuff is kind of convoluted. It's kind of yeah, hard to no, keep I mean, orderly. Once you get used to, used to the snapping stuff, it's 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 pretty awesome. Truth be told, hit, I hit, be told though, I haven't used <laughs> I haven't used Windows since like I think I used it for like a few weeks on a contracting job in two thousand. I don't know. 
Yeah. No, I, which is which is might have been like understandable. Two thousand. No, I mean, well, well, I mean, once I left, I, I mean, I went, I went right back to, I went, I went right back to the Mac. So, do they still? They still have like the C drive, right? Like, if you buy, uh, like, they, if you buy like a brand new like Windows machine, you still have like a C drive, right? They do. I think it might be less exposed. Like, I think you know your default view in the Explorer is is more like you know your documents and pictures and stuff like that. Um, but that said, there's aspects of Windows, the Windows Explorer app, like the actual file management that, um, that are better than the Mac and, uh, like the way you can have, I mean, maybe it's more power user stuff, but you can actually view the tree and like the left and like have the apps on the right, or you can like cut and paste, like just, I don't know. I think it's one of those things where, where, uh, if you're always used to the finder, um, you would think it odd, but if you've used it the other way, um, I don't know. I definitely... Uh, yeah, we will never for. finish in ninety minutes if we get started on the Finder because I'm still not used. To, I'm still not used to the OS ten Finder. I, if you're used to the real Finder from uh, the classic Mac OS, then it's all it's all just ugly and brutal. That's where yeah. the action was. Well, I think in general, um, it is Mac OS users and people who like the old Finder and Spatial Finder or whatever. It seems to me tend to be more mouse centric in their usage of the computer. It would you, was that a fair characterization? Uh, I I don't think so. I think for some people that is true, but like I wasn't. And once you learned some of the keyboard shortcuts for the old uh, Finder, it was it was great. You you know just uh, command up would go up a up a you know, up a level command in the list view, which is what everybody, you know, everybody smart used, you could uh, command left and right to close up, open and close levels of hierarchy and option command left, right to do the whole, you know, subfolders too. And then you could uh, type ahead and you could type ahead to select, you still can, a lot of these things still work, but in the old finder, it, it never screwed you over and it kept stuff open and you could do stuff like, uh, you still can, but like just start typing the first few letters of something and it selects the first thing that matches the first few letters without entering any kind of command or anything. You just type it. I don't know. I, I learned to use the keyboard very, very quickly with the old finder. And it was always very fast and it never felt like I had to wait for anything. But that's a, that's a, that's another show. I'll save that show for when Syracuse is on. Yeah. As I was gonna say, I think my, my perspective is, is, distorted by having him talk about the find the uh, spatial finder uh kind of it's kind of been a, a, a multi-decade campaign at this point i think yeah well it's, and we didn't even uh, talk about chromebooks either which i actually do really like <laughs> uh <laughs> what else what do you remember were you using windows when the windows 95 came out this week was the uh, 25th anniversary of of Windows ninety five. No, because I, I I didn't I didn't have a computer because I was in high school. Right. Um. So when I got a computer or when I built my computer, I think that Windows ninety eight had either just come out or was about to come out. So uh, I think yeah, I think I started with Windows ninety eight. Um, I'd used Windows ninety five, but no, I wasn't part of the whole um line up and do it. I, I I was following like I was following the news at by that point. I think I had subscribed to actually. I think I had actually subscribed to some computer magazines when I was still in high school. Like we did those old like fundraising drives, you know, where you sell magazines door to yeah. door. Oh, yeah. Just in retrospect, just kind of ridiculous. Um, but uh, so I was I was subscribed to a few of them. So I definitely followed it um, even from afar. But no, I was not a part of it. But I, I did enjoy your uh, your your YouTube linking uh, in in response to it. 
It was something. I, I thought it was I still thought it was garbage. It was just better looking garbage than Windows three point one. It did stop well, the, I did, mean it did stop your eyes from bleeding, but it did actually manage memory competently. Yeah, this is more garbage. than you could say for the Mac. Well, you know, but the Mac at least I don't know. I that I favor user interface design over lower level you know. The Mac OS of the era definitely had problems and it was showing its age. Um, but I would say 1995, it wasn't quite even there yet. I would say at that point, there were still advantages to be had by having an operating system that was so low to the ground that, um, you know, that memory wasn't managed like that. Right. Well, I, I think it's it speaks to how good the user interface was that, I mean, I mean, people talk about Apple dying, but the fact that they didn't die um, right. speaks to how, how good it was because the reality is on almost every conceivable metric or feature angle, uh, I mean, the Mac was pretty hopelessly behind. It was way and that, more expensive you know, and well, way worse and, performance. Yeah, that was really, I think that it, it by 96, 97, it was, it, 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 the fact that the operating system was so crufty under the hood and that memory was all shared um, was definitely a problem that they knew. And that's why, you know, that it came to a head and that's why they bought Next. Um, but the machines of the time were not unusable. They weren't bad. I mean, you know, you could make them bad, though. That was one of the things that people got. Like, and if you used a stock Mac, this is the thing that people don't remember. If you used a stock Mac and you did not install third-party extensions, you would have a a pretty stable experience. Um, the thing that really kind of did that in were web browsers. It was even the good ones, uh, at the time had a tendency to really lock up your machine. Uh, but the people who would complain and say, like, I had a Mac in 1994 and it crashed all the time, they installed all of these system extensions that were all running in the same memory space as everything else. It was more or less like people were making their own operating system. Right. Uh, but that's a long story. Yeah. We're, we're, we're doing everything we can to, to not meet our goal, I think. Yeah. Um, you mentioned before, let's, let's move on. Let's uh, talk about... Uh, the Apple Watch and the Taptic Engine. I I think that among the top problems with Apple Watch now, low these many months in, uh, I think the Taptic Engine is one of the top problems and probably the only hardware problem. Or no, I, I guess I have a second hardware problem. I have a list of three top Apple Watch problems, and one of them is the Taptic Engine, which I don't think is good enough. Yeah, I, I th what's interesting is I think that's arguably the killer feature of the watch. Yeah. Like that, that was what I missed the most when I was, didn't have the watch for three days was back to buzzing in my pocket. Like that, it was really annoying. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I think the, the fact that it's a hardware problem is magnified by the fact that it's so, I think, central to the value that the device does, does provide. Um, which to me is all about, you know, is the notifications and some of the complications. Um, I have said for a long time and maintain that. It was a mistake to launch with these hybrid apps. I get, you know, I, I think they just ruin the user experience. Um, but the Taptic Engine is great, um, except for the fact that, it, especially in the stainless steel models, it seems to be failing for a lot of people. Um, yeah, I think that. Do you think that's true? Do you think it's a lot of them in the stainless steel? Because that was what my my review unit was that had a bad one. That's what. The, that's what. I mean, based on Twitter responses, I yeah. mean, when I posted that mine is failing. Um, I got quite a few responses and it seemed to be all stainless steel uh, models that were having problems. And if you remember, I think it was the stainless steel models that were the most delayed too. Um, 
getting out the door. Yeah. Remember there was the story about like one supplier of Taptic engines, you know, they had bad ones. Um, so I don't know. Yes. It, it, there seems to have been, there seems to be in some sort of common thread here involving the stainless steel models and the Taptic engine and there being a problem. Uh, I think I think that there's too many people who've had them fail. Maybe not so much that it really hurts the platform, but it's it's obviously a problem. And I think even in the ones that don't fail, it's not good enough. And yeah. I I could be wrong because it was one afternoon, eleven months ago, almost eleven and a half months ago now, when I first got to see the the prototype late pre production Apple watches that they had at the event last year. Um, you know, six months before they actually shipped. But what I recall from the ones that I got to put on my wrist there, the taptic sensation was better. And it wasn't, it, it, it was just, it was just more satisfying. It felt more yeah. like a tap. Whereas this, and, and, and more like something that you couldn't miss. Like they, the ones that they had a year ago just seemed to me like they had like hit this sweet spot between you're not going to miss this, but this isn't going to startle or annoy you. Right. It, it was just, it was very humane is the best way that I could put it in the way that if I, if I were standing behind you and you were talking to somebody and I needed to get your attention, I could tap you on the shoulder in an appropriate way, depending on the urgency of the matter. Like, is this seriously an emergency? I could, you know, I would tap you a, a more aggressively if it was just, I, I do hate to interrupt, but I just want to let you know, I have something for you. I would tap you in a certain way on the shoulder and, and you, you could interpret that. The watches I remember from September just sort of had that. And I really thought this, this is a huge aspect of the thing. Whereas the watch I wear now, uh, I just, I, I do miss taps. I don't think I, I'm, in fact, I know that it's not defective. I don't think I, I don't have a, a watch with a defective taptic engine. It just isn't that great though. And I feel like it needed to be, or it needs to be. And I feel yeah. like it's one of those things that the next generations, they're going to figure something out to do it better. Yeah, I think the it's interesting. I think my new watch actually, I feel it's not as good as my original watch when I first got it. Again, it's hard to measure because you're you're going based on memory. Yeah, but the so the way it failed was it went from feeling like a tap to feeling like a vibration. Mm. Like so, it, it was like it was getting loose or something. Um, and so and and that had less of a sense of the tapping because it's kind of just this buzzing on your wrist. Um, as opposed to being that very distinct tap. And I do think my new one, well, it, it's tighter than the one that was failing. It still feels more vibrate than like a tap that that I that I recall. Um, again, I recall it was from my, when I watched first got it or if it was from the event also. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, uh, yeah, it, it, I, and it's interesting. I, I, I was, I'm curious if the smart ones are different or the sport ones are different. Um, but like I said, I, it's my it's it's my favorite feature. So uh, hopefully they do clean it up. All right, I need to uh, sneak in here and uh, thank our next sponsor, and it is our good friends at Hover. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names. They're a domain name registrar. That is like the one of the dirtiest rackets on the internet. Hover is above the board. These guys do it the right way. These guys are like the Apple of domain name registrars. Uh, and they have a great deal. Remember this. Keep this in mind. You get 10% off your first purchase at Hover uh, using a special code that I will tell you in one minute. Uh, here's just a couple of points, though, about Hover. 
um, you want to secure a great domain for your idea. They have tools. You search like the name of the project or the company or the app or whatever it is you're working on that you want a new domain for. You, they give you the tools to help you search for it and find either the closest and best combination of two words that have a .com or to help you find an alternative to .com that's a top-level domain. Uh, whichever way you want to go to find a domain Hover has amazingly good tools uh, to help you find it. So you want to get a good domain name, Hover has you covered there. Uh, you want to take all the hassle and confusion out of the process of registering it, Hover's got you there. Uh, you want easy-to-use tools like a dashboard for managing your domains, they've got it. They've got it. Great, simple interface. Really, really good. In less than five minutes, you can find a domain, pay for it, sign up, and get access uh, to everything you need to control it and get it pointed at your website, uh, all from Hover's dashboard. Really, really great stuff. If you have to register a domain and you don't use Hover, you are not hooked up right. Um, if you've ever registered a domain anywhere else, you know that companies make it really unpleasant. Uh, not only do they make it hard to buy what you want, but if you ever want to move it somewhere else, boy, that's really where they make it hard. It is exactly it's the same sort of process that like when you want to call up your cable company and tell them to, that you want to switch to Fios or something like that. Uh, and, and they give you the runaround and they won't just disconnect your service. Uh, that's exactly what it's like moving domains from some of these domain name registrars. Well, guess what? It doesn't have to be that hard when you go to Hover because Hover has an amazing service that they call valet transfer. So if you're a Hover customer, there is, this is all you do. You give them your credentials, your login credentials for the old registrar where your old domains are. And for free, absolutely free, you skip the hassle of moving them over yourself. They know all the tricks that these guys pull. They know exactly how to get there and just get it done. And they know how to do it the right way. So your DNS is all pointed the right way and nothing gets, you know, there's no hiccups in the transfer. You just give the uh, customer service reps at Hover your what they need, the information they need from your old registrar and let them go. And then next thing you know, all of your old domains are all in your Hover account. One place with all your domains with the same great interface and service. Really, really great. When you do buy new domains, they don't do any of this heavy handed stuff, no upsells, no charging you for stuff that shouldn't be there. It, are they the cheapest? No, they are not the cheapest, but that's exactly what drove this whole domain name registrar business into the ground is this race to the bottom in pricing. And then that's where they turn to all these upsells and hidden charges. Um, Hover's prices are great, though. They're really competitive, and it includes everything you'd need or want. You know, who is privacy? Everybody should have who is privacy. There's no way that any registrar should be charging for this. Who doesn't want who is privacy on the, the name and phone number and stuff like that that's associated with the domain name registration? Well, at Hover, that's just built in. So they have great customer support, a great interface, great prices, great service, and a great track record. They've been around forever. They have great history. Uh, they've even got online tutorials and email support if you don't want to get on the phone and talk to somebody. So you can either help yourself or follow their instructions to do whatever it is that you want. So here's what you do. When you want to get a new domain name or you want to sign up and switch your old domain names over, go to hover.com, H-O-V-E-R.com, and you'll get 10% off using the code 3STARPODCAST. That's T-H-R-E-E 
S-T-A-R-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Love these guys. You can tell they listen to the show um, with the the goofy uh, domain names that they pick. Or not domain names, but uh, uh, coupon codes. Although I'll bet threestarpodcast.com. I wonder if that's taken. Maybe I should look into it. Uh, my thanks to Hover. And if you need a domain, go check it out. Um, what, what are your what, what are your other two problems? With well, watch? actually, I'm going to renumber them, and I'm going to say that Taptic Taptic Engine disappointing. I'm going to number that number two. I'm going to say number one is that apps are slow, and where by apps I mean anything that goes between the phone and the watch, like not just third party. I think the third party stuff is is really just embarrassing as the months go it's on. It's unusable. And yeah. and some days it just seems worse. And the and but then even the built-in stuff it can be can be. Sometimes it's like it just works, and you're like, this is the future. And other times it's like I hit the little weather, you know, the temperature thing on my face to open the weather app, and it just spins and spins and spins. Yeah, and I'm in an weather air, you know, is too slow. Yeah, and I've got a good connection. You know, I'm at home and Wi-Fi. You know, everything should work just fine. And something uh, somewhere it it you know doesn't work. So, so I have two two comments on that. One for what I agree about weather being way too slow, um, and it's frustrating. Two, the other thing that's really irritating is weather doesn't update based on your location. You have to open up the watch app in your phone and change the default city, which to me is, is seems like such a miss. I, I mean, I'm sure it'll be fixed, but it's like because um, I, mean, I travel a lot, so I have to yeah. deal with this relatively regularly. Um, one thing that's great about the Apple Watch is I made a travel face basically where. I was leaving from Chicago. I had the Chicago time. I had Tokyo time where we were switching planes, and I had Taipei time where we were going. And I also had the chronograph to measure how long we'd flying, and the timer to measure how long until like we were supposed to land. It was awesome. Like it, I usually will fly with the little computer, you know, the flight path in front of me, just mainly to see that all the time. Um, but the watch was actually way better because I could immediately see the time uh, whenever I wanted. But the fact. But so it's 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 almost a great travel thing. I just wish it would update when when you get there. Yeah. Uh, third, I'm gonna say is this is one that does not affect me, but it absolutely affects uh, Amy, my wife. Uh, workouts kill the battery. It yeah. She you know when she, and it's one of the re, you know and it's clearly it's heavily advertised as a reason to buy the watch is as a you know workout measuring fitness companion, um, and it just you know. She goes to the gym and she comes back and she could leave with the hundred percent charge and comes back and her watch is under fifty percent, uh, and then not with without enough to get to the end of the day. Um, so I don't know if it's you know the exact type of workout she's doing. I don't know if, if other ones. I think the fact that hers is thirty eight instead of forty two has a factor in that. Um, yeah, but that's a real I, like one day of of battery life. It does seem like that's, you know, it seems crazy compared to what watches were like before Apple watch, where you have to charge your damn watch every night. And that can be a problem. Um, but it's, it, when it works, it seems like, yeah, that's, I can get used to, I can handle this. This is okay. But if you can't get through the day, it's a deal breaker and doing a workout, uh, and having it not get through the day is, is a real, it's a real problem. I think. Yeah. Within, my last item is sort of a, a sub item of the apps are slow thing. It might be related to why sometimes they get slow. I think that the there's a sometimes there's a finicky connection between the watch and phone, and I feel like it has to be ideally, especially for the prices they're charging. It it really ought to be a hundred percent thing. 
Like when you connect a keyboard to a Mac through USB, it always works, right? Like you, if it doesn't, you know that you just you, you've got a bad keyboard, right? USB you, or Bluetooth? USB. And 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 I think it's blue. I think Bluetooth is the reason that that this watch, you know. But that's that's not right. my problem, right? You know, if you've spent a thousand dollars on an Apple Watch, the fact that Bluetooth is very difficult to program and has all sorts, you know, whatever, not your problem. It should it should be work as reliably as USB, as plug. Let me in. guess you 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 wear your watch on your left wrist and put your phone in your right pocket. I do. Yep, that, I'm sure that's why because the the human body is a. Uh, it's like a you know we're a big, big sack of water. You know um, what though, my wife has had more problems than me with this, including recently. And she does; she seldom carries her phone in a pocket. It's usually you know in her purse or or something like that. Um, mm. She doesn't usually keep it in a pocket. And it's and sometimes it's like it just says like they're right next to each other. And not often, not often, but like it was just like a week or two ago. But her phone and her watch, and she isn't running any beta software on anything. She's not running OS betas. Um, but her her watch was showing the I can't see the phone icon, you know, the red, the red, right. scary red icon. And they're right next to each other. And getting them to see each other again, it's the best thing we could figure out to do was to... Uh, reset her watch and then restore it repair it restore it from the backup that she had on the phone uh it just seems like something you should never have to do for for well, a, that's, yeah, a luxury that's bad. yeah and it was weird it was like you know that the magic repairing like where you uh point your camera at the at the cool animated uh, qr code equivalent but that they made look not ugly it that wasn't working for her like for and even though I know that that's because I was there with her when she paired it originally it and and it was you know in any kind of lighting like really good midday lighting with lots of sunshine just wasn't working. She had yeah to go I had the, the I, I I couldn't get a paired when I was uh, at the Apple Store getting my new one um, for uh, for some reason the the genius ended up doing it and I just think that it's got to and I think Apple probably I think that they're aware of this because I think that's how high their aspirations are but the, all these little fiddly little problems are fine if for something like the Pebble that's aimed at a certain like the sort of people who Pebble advertises to and when you charge the sort of prices that Pebble advert you know charges um, people you know this sort of finicky trying to get one piece of technology to talk to another is just what we're used to and that's acceptable I think that Apple has raised the bar with so many other things in their ecosystem and with the pricing that they charge and and the sort of, you know, consumer accessible luxury message that they're putting forth. That's it's just not acceptable. It's interesting you talk about the luxury angle. I, I will say the um beyond the apps, which again I think um I, I feel like the fact that it shipped these hybrid apps was very concerning to me as what it says about Apple as a whole, like who someone should have said no to that. Um, that, that aside, the, the luxury angle, like the, the, the biggest issue I have with the watch and I've still worn it every day and I missed it when it was gone. Um, but is I do, I, I'm not like a, some watch connoisseur. I only have one Swiss watch that I got for my wedding for my in-laws. Um, but I, I miss wearing it. Like I miss going into, like, I can go into a nice store and I can be dressed, you know, jeans and a shirt. But you know, if you're wearing like that nice watch, like it, it it's, 
there's a certain sense and feeling that comes from from that. And I don't get that from the Apple Watch. I have the stainless steel with the stainless steel band. You know, it's you know relatively high model, but it definitely. Um, well, I absolutely think that it looks a lot better than uh, the competing smartwatches. Um, and that's fine. I get it. people may agree or disagree. Um, it still feels pretty geeky and not not like a luxury item. Even if it's the quality's nice, the workmanship's nice. Um, I miss not having that luxury item and. I don't know. I, I'm wearing it anyway. Um, Parks. I'm a geek in part because, like I said, the, I find the notifications and the not, or I more find the not buzzing in my pocket really nice. But um, I get what they're going for with that. I at least for me, I'm not sure that they delivered on that specific point. Yeah, you're just traveling. How do you how how do you find traveling with the Apple Watch? No, it's great. Like I said, I find it. I think it's great because the multiple watch faces you can set like. I set up like a custom watch face just for just for the trip, um, which was super super valuable. And because I'm lazy, I don't I have zero battery life issues. Uh, even flying that 26 hour <laughs> trip, um, you know, no no problem as far as battery life goes. It is true. If you don't do a workout, it is it, it does get outstanding battery. I find that it's half great for traveling and half terrible for traveling and i'm not sure interesting so like i i do think that the directions are pretty great um uh we just had oh see i never use that because uh we just had to drive somewhere and we don't have uh like a dashboard gps type thing i find getting the directions on my wrist while i'm driving the car to be just terrific absolutely terrific and i know i'm 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 thinking about it uh, you know, that it's going to tap me when I've got a turn coming up and I can glance and see it. It's really, really like it for that. I like it for little things like as convenient as it is if you've got like a boarding pass on the watch in a way, like you said, with Passbook that it just comes up, like knows you're at the airport and uh, it just comes up. Because how many, especially when you're traveling with kids, uh, a lot of times your arms are full uh, or you just don't feel like digging through. It's it's pretty cool for stuff like that. Um uh, oh, I remember on an Amtrak train one time, and it's it's I had my boarding pass on the watch, and it's just so great because you're on Amtrak, you all you sit down and you wait, and they come around and get your tickets, and so instead of having to sit there with your ticket out or fish it out of your pocket or something like that, you just show them your wrist, and it's already right there. Really great. The thing I don't like about traveling with the Apple Watch is I really don't like having to set up another charger in a hotel. Oh, right. It For really. Sure. Like when we were at uh, Disney World last month, it really was. It 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 was like I just gave up on it. I was like, I'm just gonna wear my old watch every day. I'm just just forget it. And I'll, I'll put the Apple Watch back on when I go home because it just got to be too much. Where I just we just had too many, you know, three phones and three Apple Watches was just too much. Yep. Especially if you if you're staying in an older hotel room that doesn't have many outlets or yeah exactly well most hotels even you know well it is probably a factor of age but you know even at at some nicer hotels it's it's hard um the one we were at at disney had the additional problem where it was sort of like a lot of the sockets uh they were loose and so like sometimes you'd have a charger in there and it wouldn't but then it's like the three it's like we just have like a tangle of these white cables you know and it's like you just look for a lightning or the thing and you plug it in and what happened to me the one day is i had i i attached it to the thing and I went to bed and I woke up in the morning and it was dead and I was like oh, what the heck how'd that happen and I like started pulling on the thing and it wasn't plugged into anything it was right it was just an, un- an unplugged in Apple Watch charger and I was like you know what the hell with that I'm putting this away and I'll wear it when I go home 
Yeah, no, that's definitely that's definitely a good point, and I think it's kind of a one that one of those ones that yeah it's, it will never go away. It does give I, me anxiety. If you think about it, it gives me anxiety. Well, though. Here's the yeah. anxiety well, I get. The anxiety I get is then when I don't wear it and we're at this theme park and I walk ten miles, I'm not getting any points for it. <laughs> yeah, so like the the gamification is working against you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Which uh, it's funny the 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 whole like I haven't turned any of those notifications off. The um the I will tell you the hour notification uh to stand up is really irritating when you're on a plane. Um, but I, I still but I haven't turned it off. I think because out of some misguided notion that this is gonna you know uh th- that it would be bad for my health to, to turn it off. Even though like I I never listen to it. Um, but uh. But yeah, that's, that, that's, I think I've talked about this on the show before. I think that, and again, I, I say this knowing that Famous Last Words is trying to tell some engineer what seems like it should be easy. So I'm not going to say it should be easy, but it seems to me like it should be possible for the watch to make a very educated guess that you are on an airplane. Because it, it knows when you're at an airport, right? And it's... Yeah, and, that's a good point. Right? And especially if it knows that it has a passbook, uh, or as it's now called in iOS 9, wallet entry for a flight, uh, and it knows what time the flight is. And if it can somehow, you know, I don't know, I guess it doesn't have an alt- altimeter. Uh, right. But there ought to be some, it just seems to me like there ought to be some kind of way that it can figure out that you're probably on a plane. And maybe it could even ask you, maybe it could even say, are you going to be on a plane? Are you getting on this flight? And then not ask you for that. I have to admit that that is, I find that to be terribly annoying too, because especially like in this, you know, second, third, fourth hour of a flight, when you're really starting to get antsy and you're like, I just wish this goddamn plane would get to where it's going. And then your watch is like, stand up, move around. And it's like, <laughs> screw you, Apple Watch. You know, I'm. St- well, one, I, I, I laugh at your second, third, fourth hour characterization. Right. Um, after my, my 13 hour uh, flight yesterday. Um, two, they the the standing indicator like can't figure out whether you're actually standing or not either. It just goes at the at ten minutes to the hour no matter what, which is which is kind of annoying when you're walking around. It taps you on the wrist uh, to say, "Hey, you ought to stand it, up." That seems, but that's weird though. Sometimes it seems to know that you have been standing and it doesn't show it to you. I don't get it every every hour at the fifty minute mark. I, I get yeah. It, like, may- who knows? Maybe 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 I don't. It just, but there are sometimes when I am up and I get it, and then it's like, come on. I don't know. Anyway, that's those are yeah. my top complaints about the Apple Watch. Yeah, no, I I think I think it's all fair. I I, I for the record remain remain pretty bullish on it. Um, just because I think you know the the arc the arc of technology. One thing I think is interesting is even when all these apps are coming, I'm still a little skeptical about the app situation. I think I might have said this on the show previously that you know kind of what matters on for one area doesn't necessarily matter the next one just because apps matter on the phone i I don't think it's necessarily the case they matter for the watch um where i think the watch remains super compelling is um you know as a way to interact with the world around you you know and like um when you can start your car with it or unlock doors with it or or identify yourself with it like that's when it's it's becomes just a must-have and really transformed what you do um in the meantime like i've been very pleased with the notification stuff um and uh yeah i just wish that i just wish that apple 
something. I, they, they just shouldn't have shipped the, the third party apps at all. But I've said that like four times and you haven't taken the bait yet. So I'll, I'll let it be. I no, I mean, I, I, I even asked Schiller about it in the live show. You know, was it, you know, what was the thinking if you knew you were going to have uh, this fuller SDK just a few months later? Even though, yes, announcing it in June doesn't mean it's shipping. It's not going to ship presumably until next month in September. But even so, if if the if that 1.0 watch kit had never existed, right now people would be there'd be some jackass out there writing articles and having written them all summer that Apple Watch is dead because it doesn't have any third party software. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, it would have only gone five months without, right? Without and, and, and saying something is like like in in all the reviews would have dinged the Apple Watch for it, but yeah. like oh, but of course it will be rectified soon. Like that's a very different than like the watch is slow because like I w- if you don't interact with the apps at all, the watch in my estimation is perfectly yeah. acceptable. And, and um, the, the new Apple that's not quite so secretive, the Apple that had. Um, uh, uh, Jeff Williams at Recode's conference in late May just say that he could, you know, coyly say that, uh, and this ties in with what you want to talk about, with the, that cars are the ultimate mobile device. You know, more or less, not saying, yes, we're working on a car, but really towing, getting right up to the line. Um, right. I think that that Apple, today's Apple, could have also said at the exact same event, you know, maybe at Recode that, yes, we are working on an SDK for Apple Watch and we'll have, you know, stay tuned for WWDC next month. Right. You know, no, I, 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 I totally agree. It could have come out, and, you know, and it even could have come out. Maybe it could have even come out at the when they had the, the event in March where, you know, the second event where they, you know, seeded the things and even said, you know, and, you know, stay tuned, you know, for WWDC and we'll have, you know, this thing. Um, well, and, and not just not just that, but like this is that's what Apple does. Like you, I mean, when you're, I, I'm sure it probably irks you that one of your one of your best articles is not on DaringFireball.com. Oh, I've said this um, before. That, I've absolutely uh, said it. Yeah, um, the, the one I, I made world. that mistake once. Yeah, the Macworld one. Like this is how Apple rolls. Like the, their version ones are supposed to be under under featured. Like there's 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 a there's two like things that a, a product should be measured on. One is the features, but the other one is is like how done it is, like how complete it is. And by complete, I don't mean that it's fully featured. I mean that the features that are there work perfectly. And like what Apple's always been good at is, yes, well, this is a version one. It's going to be missing a lot of stuff, but whatever is there is going to work really, really well. Like remember the iPhone one? Like that that is arguably the most stable iPhone of all, right? I mean, that that thing was was incredible for what it was even though it was missing all kinds of like basic stuff, yeah. you know, you copy and paste and all that, all this various stuff that we, we can all name. Um, but better, what was there worked perfectly. Better in general, and, at least in Apple's mindset, to ship without a feature at all than to ship with a crappy version of the feature. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and that's what so irks me about the watch or concerns me as an Apple observer is to me, the app situation is... is is adding it because to check a box and it's adding a poor implementation of it instead of taking the lumps for, you know, in reviews for missing something. Um, it added something in it and added it poorly. And that's, and they, that's a problem. Yeah. It's almost like they took somebody at Apple and who knows, maybe everybody was in agreement and there wasn't a fight about it, but it seems to me like something that maybe was an internal debate that there were, 
had to be some people in there who thought the same thing we do. And it makes me think that the faction that won out and shipped it um, took the wrong lesson from the iPhone. Because famously, and we know this in hindsight, and famously with the original iPhone, um, it didn't ship with a SDK. And I don't think it would have under any circumstances. Even if the whole company was unanimous that we need to have apps for this thing just like we do for the Mac. In 2007, that still wouldn't have happened because the OS was still... They didn't. They weren't ready to have public APIs, and that's one thing Apple's always, or at least the next side of Apple, even actually even the non-next side, I think has been pretty good about over the years. Is that they, you know, once they publish APIs, they're pretty, you know, pretty good about supporting them going forward until they're deprecated. They don't really change right. things like that. Um, but famously, you know. It's, there were people in, on Steve Jobs was on that side of it that really thought that they didn't need apps, that this, you know, we, we can do all the apps we need, that it would more or less be like what Apple TV has been up till date, where not that they wouldn't have new apps going forward, but they would be things like the YouTube app where they would do them in partnership with somebody else. And that if maybe if there was a Netflix app two years later, Apple would write the Netflix app and put it on the phone in with API help from Netflix and stuff like that, that they could just do it all themselves and have a dozen, you know, a couple of dozen apps and that would right. be fine. And that the other side was, no, we should, you know, open this up and have an app store. And they looked at how this went and how the app store was so, you know, has now become so essential to the success of the iPhone and the iPad uh, and just blindly said, well, therefore we need to do this for the watch and we need to have it right away. Yep. I agree. Yeah, I, yeah. What, I'm trying to think which apps I use. I use Overcast sometimes, um, but that's about it. I don't. Sometimes I don't I, use a single one. I tried the. Uh, I tried the SPG wire or QS entry, hmm. um, but uh, yeah, it, it's it was too much hassle. You have to go into the apps and you have to click it. Like it, it would work better if they had like a beacon or something, so it came up automatically. That would be awesome. Um, and so that's going to be like my whole vision about like having your watch do stuff for you. Um, it was great. Like, Apple Pay on the uh, watch is great. Um, you know, you just double, double click it and do it. You, it needs to be that easy to have your watch interact with the environment. Actually, having to open up the app screen, find the SPG app, open it. Then you had to click to unlock key. Like it was a multi-step process that was totally not worth it. Yeah. Uh, on the phone, on the phone, the phone worked great. Um, because maybe just because the phone's faster, you still had to open the app. Um, but uh, but yeah. That that other than that, I haven't really touched an app at all in in a long time. Yeah, I I I very seldom go back to that app screen. Um, and just for example, like to to time this ninety minute episode of the talk show, I wanted to run a timer on my watch. And the way I run a timer is I know that third over from the left is the chronograph watch face, and I can which I love for doing timing because I just can, it don't have to launch anything. There's a button right there on the watch face that starts a stopwatch. Yep. No, I, 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 I put timer in, I have timer and alarm on my watch face and those are, that's what I use by far the most. Right. Um, as far as applications go and they work well because they're native to the watch. Like there's no, there's no lag in using them. They, they work quickly. Um, yeah. So, it's in, it will be interesting long term, though. I mean, I I think that uh, I, I, we'll see what happens with these version two apps. I'm um, I'll, I'll be interested to see which ones break through, if 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 any. 
Oh, uh, you know what? I was going to stop. I was going to move to a new topic. But the other thing, I knew I wanted to say something. I'm so glad you said that, is that I'm thinking, this is my hunch, and I can't, I, I don't have concrete examples, but I my hunch, though, is that the third-party key isn't the app, like the, the delivery, whether it's it technically in code that's in a dot .app bundle, I, that, that doesn't matter. But it's the concept of an app, what faces a user. And in iOS parlance, an app is a thing that is an icon on the home screen, and you launch it, and then it gets the whole screen, and then you interact with it until you hit the home button and go back to the home screen that is full of apps. And Apple Watch has that, right? They have this thing full of apps, and you launch it, and it takes over the screen. I, think, I just think it's the wrong... Metaphor. Uh, metaphor, yeah, or package, it's to me what's interesting and what works best from third parties right now are the notifications and the ones that right. are smart and that you can tap and get a list of buttons that give you options to do things like with the do app that I use for certain reminders. And I can, have you have you tried Outlook yet from Microsoft the, no. the email client? No, they, they have an excellent Apple Watch app actually for that exact reason. You get a notification on email, you scroll down and there's archive, delete delay yeah. till later or like whatever whatever the actions you want to do on an email and yeah it, it's all within the notification layer and so actually that is actually an application that i use even though i never actually launched the application right you're not really using it in the app metaphor you're using it in this notification metaphor and you don't the, you know the people who put that together aren't writing a whole app they're just saying okay after this notification here's a list of the actions we want to present and then you do these actions and yes they've written an app that has code that when you say archive knows and you know it tells the app okay take that email message and move it to the archive folder but it's it from the user it doesn't feel like using an app and the other thing that i think might be a big deal it, with watch watch os 2.0 are uh the third-party complications yes and being able to put those complications on your watch faces i think could be a real step up and within a month or two everybody's going to be like i can't believe we lived without this because I've got my favorite thing, you know, I've got my Yankee scores right here on my watch or whatever yep. your favorite thing is. No, but I then again, agree. again, that's not really, that's not an app. It's not using it as an app. It's using it as this little thing on a face that you can tap and launch the app, but that you don't really think of it that way. Yep. No, I, I think in, in the key thing here is all of them are, are, and this is where the watch is compelling is the degree to which it, it integrates with like the external world as opposed to being like all included into an app, like an app on a phone. <clears throat> what makes the phone amazing is the phone anywhere you go, you're connected to the internet and all apps as you know, you've written about a ton, like, yeah, the web, you know, HTTP is thriving, even if WWW is, you know, kind of on the decline in mobile. And if you, that's what makes the phone remarkable is the way it keeps you connected to the internet everywhere. Um, but that that implies a different user experience where you're inside of an app because you're what you're not actually inside. You're not inside the app. You're inside of Facebook or you're inside of Twitter or you're inside of whatever you know the New York Times or whatever whatever it might be. Whereas the watch, if you think about that complication, what what it's doing is that complication is putting the information into like your external world, or the notification is like interrupting what you're doing now and and the context that you're operating in is not contained within the device. It's like your your world's context. And I think that hints at why why I'm still bullish on the watch and why I think, you know, in the long run, this will be not just a luxury, but but more much more of a must-have device 
is the degree to which it will, will let you like integrate computing with everything around you, yeah. the physical world, not just the virtual internet world. Yeah. Well said. Let me take a break here and thank our next sponsor. It's our good friends at Warby Parker. Warby Parker uh, believes that prescription eyeglasses simply should not cost 300 bucks or more. They bypass the traditional channels and sell higher quality, better looking prescription eyeglasses online at a fractional fraction of the usual retail prices, starting at just 95 bucks. Their designs are vintage inspired with a contemporary twist. Every pair is custom fit with anti-reflective, anti-glare, polycarbonate prescription glasses, lenses. Um, every pair comes with a very nice hard case and a cleaning cloth, so you don't need to buy any overpriced accessories. Uh, and they now offer for uh, our older our older friends um, progressive lenses, aka bifocals. But you know they don't call them that anymore because they I don't know they do some kind of fancy stuff with a computer to make the two lenses sort of blend together. Anyway, those are usually very expensive. Warby's progressive lenses start at just $295, including the frames. Uh, they have a distance prescription at the top and a transition to a reading lens near the bottom. And their pres- pres- progressives are, they call them digital free-form lenses. That's the most advanced progressive technology, higher precision, and a larger field of vision than traditional progressive lenses. Buying glasses online sounds like it would be risky, right? Because it's like you go to a glasses store and, you know, you start trying these things on. And right there in the store while you're trying them on, you're, you're going through a whole bunch of pairs and you're like this, that, this, that, looking in the mirror. Warby has you covered. Makes it super easy. You go to their website and uh, you pick out the glasses you like, up to five pairs, and they just send them to your house free of charge. And you borrow five at a time. Take them to your house, try them on at home, at your own pace, see which ones you like. Uh, and then when you go to buy them, you can use your computer's webcam and they uh, have tools that help you do the things that, the things that you know, it, it matters, like how far apart your pupils are, you know, whether it's, you know, 17 millimeters or centimeters or 16 or something like that. They have a simple little 17 tool. centimeters, you're going to have a problem. <laughs> well, whatever. I'm not good at centimeters. I'm, uh, you know. How far apart are your eyes? I don't know. Two, three inches, whatever. Uh, 17 centimeters in inches would be seven inches. Yeah, maybe, well, well, I guess if you're, you're very, a very large person. Yeah, or maybe if you're like wall-eyed or something. Uh, anyway, you, you just hold up a credit card, which is a standard size, and then the camera knows how big the credit card is, and then it measures your distance. Uh, I've done it. I, I have these Warby Parkers. I, I, they're the best glasses that I own, and uh, it, they're, you know, the distance thing worked great. It really feels like a real pair of glasses. Um, so you can try them at home, see which ones you like. Uh, no obligation to buy. If you get five glasses at home and you don't like any of them, send them all back and there's there's nothing. You're you're out nothing except uh, putting them back in the box with a prepaid label and dropping it off or doing whatever you have to do to get it back into UPS's hands. That's it. Um, they also have sunglasses, uh, prescription and non-prescription uh, polarized sunglasses. Uh, uh, anyway, oh, the last thing they want me to mention, and it is a great thing, is that they believe in giving back to the world. And for every pair of glasses Warby Parker sells, they give another pair to someone in need 
through a whole bunch of vision charities. Uh, you can check it out on our website and they list who they are, but they go all around the world. And it truly is a remarkable thing because like, just imagine what that would be like if you couldn't even see clearly uh, and didn't have the money or the resources to get uh, just a simple little $95 pair of eyeglasses that could fix the problem. Well, Warby Parker is, is working on that. So that's really great. They've been doing that for years. So here's what you do. Go to warbyparker.com slash the talk show, I believe. I'll correct that in a second if I'm wrong. But um, go there and check it out. And uh, uh, my thanks to Warby Parker. Great glasses. I will say uh, I, I quick did the conversion of the centimeters to inches um, using Spotlight, which I used to be, speaking of third-party resources, I used to be a huge uh, um, LaunchBar user. Yeah, I can't get used and to life without LaunchBar. Well, I, w- I was for a very long time. Um, but basically what happened was their uh, their copy-paste functionality was br- had this weird bug for like a very long time. Everyone complained about it. And so I gave up and ended up using another another clipboard manager, um, which, by the way, I will say, like, that's the number one reason I don't use the with the Chromebook, which I've, I always talk about loving uh, uh, more than I do, is because I can't live without a clipboard manager. Um, it's always something, right? Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, so I tried out like what well, let me try just using this and using Spotlight. Um I did have to add <laughs> I did, I cheated because I'm not using pure Spotlight. I added something called Flashlight. So Flashlight uh adds a bunch of additional functionality just to Spotlight including the ability to like like I can search directly in different domains or there's there's all kinds of stuff that adds on to it to make it much more launch bar like with like a lot of the custom actions that you can do. But uh I, I have to admit I I'm I've been with it for like six months now. I'm pretty. I'm pretty happy with it. Hmm. I never heard of flashlight. I will put this in the uh, in the show notes. Yeah, I couldn't use straight spotlight. I have to have the stuff that flashlight adds. All right, um, one second, I'm going to put it in the show notes. Here I am. That's me pasting it into the show notes. So that gives. But, uh, it, I give it a fifty percent chance of making it into the actual show notes. <laughs> How are we doing on time? We're at. Uh, we're, we're, we're we're running pretty long. We're at an hour and sixteen minutes. So we have fourteen minutes technically to do the rest of the show. I don't know. We might run slightly long, but that's not too long. We're not more than a minute longer. Oh, I really, I really generally do want to get your thing on this Apple car thing. So here, here's, here's my, here's my conundrum in, in a nutshell with the Apple car thing is the, the issue I have with, obviously there's lots of smoke and think there'd be fire. There's two possible outcomes here. One is that Apple produces like a normal car, which I think they could do a good job in electric car and be very competitive, except that I have questions about the long-term trajectory of the car market, particularly with the rise of things like Uber and and car sharing, that sort of thing. I think in the long run, um, car ownership is likely to decline, um, which seems odd to launch into that. The other option is to do the self-driving car, which I think is, you know, is certainly the long-term trajectory. But then I question Apple's competence in in pulling off a self-driving car, um, which seems to fit much more to you know Google's strengths, um, as particularly the the data intensive approach they're taking to it. I I just I mean clearly there's lots of there's lots of smoke here, but it just um, I don't know it doesn't seem to quite add up for me. I mean maybe this comes from my like I said you said you use Apple Maps for the watch. I don't because it's unusable here in Taiwan. Um, I tried it when I first got the watch, and it made, it told me to make two illegal turns, both of which would have gotten me killed. Um, so I, I don't know. So I, I, I'm, I'm baffled about the whole thing to be, to be honest, well, not just, baffled. I'm just, I can't figure out what I think. 
just a rehash as of this recording uh we are recording on wednesday august 26th show will probably be out tomorrow but uh uh, some of the smoke that's appeared in the last over the summer is a whole bunch of hirings at Apple that we people have spotted from like LinkedIn profiles changing and and etc. of car people of various sorts. Um, it doesn't even matter going through them one by one. It's a whole bunch of people with experience in the car industry or from Tesla or from BMW or what have you. Uh, and it doesn't make any sense for Apple to have hired all of them if they're not making a car. Uh, or something car related, uh, and then there was the thing. Who got that scoop where Apple what? is trying to book the, the to, Guardian did the, the test Guardian, track. Yeah, yeah, at a test track that, and and I took issue with it, and just my point was that the Guardian's headline was uh, something about Apple, you know, shows that Apple is working on an autonomous car, and I didn't see that as being evident that it was an autonomous car. That, right, could have been a normal car. Yeah, and it, what people said to me in response was that it's not just a test track; it's like a little fake town. Um, this area, it's like old naval base somewhere in San Francisco or something, and that it doesn't make sense for anything other than a naval or, or an autonomous car. Because if you want to test a regular car, you can test that anywhere. I'm not sure that holds though, because I think Apple definitely wants testing area nearby. So the fact that they could, you know, get a test track in Detroit or something like that, that doesn't help them. Uh, and who knows, maybe there are some minor autonomous features, you know, collision detection or something like that, that they're working on, but that it's not really a self-driving car because the thing to me, and I, maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I, I think self-driving cars sound great. I, I really hope that they come sooner than later. I hope, you know, it sounds fantastic. Um, I, it just seems to me though, my gut feeling is that it's way off. That's it's pretty, that's really far off in the future. Not really. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, 10 years it, off? It, it sounds like we're in the same boat here, um, which is interesting because some people, I mean, like... Uh, it like, seems like um, we're far enough out that Apple wouldn't need to wait for that if that if they want to get into the car business and that they can do this iterative and get in and start figuring out, you know, how, how are they going to sell them around the country and the world? Uh, right, right. You know, and, and get in and start doing that before they have the self-driving aspect down, Uh and then you know, and then come Add out the with self yeah. Come out with that, the self driving car at the same time that they would have anyway. It like it, it, you know, and and on a longer scale, like what I was saying before about the app store for the iPhone, that it didn't make sense even if they had been one hundred percent internally committed, which they weren't. But even if they had been internally committed to, we should do an app store for the iPhone. It didn't make sense for them to wait until 2008 to ship the first one. The one that they shipped in 2007 was totally worth shipping when they did. I think it would be totally worth Apple, if they could, shipping a car in 2020 that is sort of traditional in terms of how you drive it and doing a self-driving car in 2025. That's that I like that. That makes sense. And be and because like there's still clearly a significant market for for a car now and for all the various reasons, like I mean Beyond the, um, you know, Johnny, I loves cars, but also just from a pure finance perspective, there's a lot to like about Apple doing a car. Um, and yes. And the other thing is, if, if they started out with normal cars, they could outfit those cars with all the sensors and stuff to start gathering data um, that would go into a self-driving car. Like what's, you know, Google can put a bunch of mapping cars on the road. Apple can could theoretically get a bunch of like actual cars on the road, gathering data, improving, you know, their, their data set and their algorithms and all that sort of stuff. 
uh, that's uh, having it thinking of it as being a, a multi-stage process. That's one of the more satisfactory answers I've heard. They thank you. This has been productive. I, I appreciate it. I, I, I just wrote them down, but I've had them in my head and it's dangerous for me to walk around with things like this in my head that aren't written down. So now I've got them written down, but I've got three reasons why I think it makes sense for Apple to be working on a car. Um, uh, one is financial. Cars are expensive, and they are a big business. There are a lot, you know, millions of cars sold in the world, and they sell for tens of thousands of dollars. So that's a good. It, in in general, that's a good business to be in. Um, two, the market is ripe for technical disruption, and it is. It's already happening with the move to you know electric drivetrains and stuff like that. Uh, power, power sources and the, the way that drive trains are changing based on that. Um, and self-driving is another area, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's unrelated, you know, I guess you could have a self-driving car that runs on gasoline and you can certainly have an electric car that isn't self-driving, but that's two big areas though, where there's enormous technical disruption. Um, and so it's time, you know, the, the market is obviously going to change. I think the car market is going to look a lot different in 20 years than it does now. And that's not necessarily true now from where it was 20 years ago, right? The yep. top top car makers today are pretty much the same ones as the top car makers 20 years ago. And the cars are technically very, very similar. Um, I don't think that's going to be true 20 years from now. So it's a good time to get in. Um, and it, it, like as a 2A subpoint on that, when computers come into a new market and there's the old standbys, and then there's the computer companies. Uh, it's the computer companies that seem to do better building yep. the new, the the old thing, than the old thing makers are at computerizing their things. Right. So, like, like the, rim, the rim example. Yeah, it's rim is a perfect example where rim built these phones and pagers, and all of a sudden it got to a point where these things could be real computers. And I know that's sort of an arbitrary distinction saying that, you know, today's smartphones are real computers and the RIM models from 10 years ago were not. But I, I, I stand by it. And that companies like Apple were better at making phones, even if like the, you know, and famously, then like the first phone, you know, dropped calls a lot. And whether that was AT&T's fault or Apple's fault or whatever, Apple got better at making phone antennas a lot quicker than RIM got at building computers. You know, yep. And I think that the same thing could happen with cars if computing matters. I think Apple's going to be able to make a car easier than even BMW or Mercedes. Companies with good, you know, well-run companies with good histories are going to be at making computers. Well, well there's, there's – oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, then my third factor is very simple. The car market has always been for 100 years and counting a market where design matters. Yep. And that plays into Apple's strengths. Well, not just that. So I would add a couple things. When the rumors first came out, I wrote a very similar article like saying there's actually a lot of things here that make sense. And I would you nailed most of them. I would just add um, the, from the design design matters perspective, uh, the, the making electric cars gotten a lot simpler. Uh, so or electric car, sorry, relative to a mechanical car is a much simpler thing to build. Like electric motors are much more, like you're not, you're, an actual car like is a controlled explosion happening constantly. And so the, the level of refinement needed to build like a quality engine and all that sort of things is much different and a much different skill set than 
than electric car where so it's much easier to enter the market now than than it was and what happens is you know and i think you were driving at this because that having engine expertise and having knowing how to build a great combustion engine is no longer a price of entry that changes what matters uh the priority so it used to be that you first off making a good engine was table stakes and then you could get to the quote unquote user interface but now that the engine is no longer a price of entry what matters most has changes because there there's no there's there's new table stakes yeah just look at what bmw's name stands for right Bavarian Motor, yeah, Bavarian Motor Works, exactly, exactly. And so this gets to my second point, which is that um, the reason why I think you, you said that the the list of top makers will be very different in twenty years than it is today, is it's any time because of this fundamental change from from mechanical to electric. And again, this is not even touching on the self driving stuff, which I think you perfectly articulated is going to be a a separate event because you have this shift from mechanical to electric. It's everyone's starting from the same spot kind of objectively And this is like going to mobile, right? It wasn't, everyone's like, Oh, Microsoft missed mobile. Microsoft didn't miss mobile. They, they were on mobile earlier than anyone else. The issue was, is that what mattered in mobile, it was a brand new paradigm. Being good at the desktop didn't advantage you on mobile. In fact, if anything, it made Microsoft worse off because the temptation to, to take the desktop paradigm and stick it onto mobile was overwhelming and that's exactly what they did right windows mobile actually had a start button a start button right. that you pressed with the stylus and it popped up a <laughs> a, a menu like a windows 95 menu um and i think it's probably going to be the same challenge with with cars the mechanical it's not just that the mechanical guys no longer have an advantage over the electric guys it's that they're actually at a disadvantage because they will be much less capable of truly starting from with a fresh sheet mm. and rethinking what a car means. Yeah. And it, it, if electric, if you start with the idea that it's going to be electric car and all that other stuff that has to do with mechanical engine goes away, then yeah, you have something like Tesla having like a 17 inch screen in, in their car, right? Cause that's actually much more important. And, um, and I think that's a reason why in these big transitions, the, the big players actually end up completely transforming. Um, yeah, and look at my reasons. Number one, they're expensive, and it's people spend a lot of money on them. Two, it's a market ripe for tech disruption. Three, it's a market where design has historically mattered. Um, that's those are the same three things going on with the watch. People spend yep. a lot of money on the watch. Uh, it's a ripe for technical disruption. And by what I mean by that is that we, we've reached a point where you can build a Unix computer that runs in a watch size device which is, and that's networked, which is a point of disruption. So that's, you know, whether or not, you know, who knows, maybe the digital watches are going to die again. Maybe it'll be a fad like the 80s. But there certainly seems like it's a time for disruption because it wasn't possible before and it is possible now. And three, it's a it's a market where design matters. Well, that's absolutely, I mean, I don't know that that's more true for any market other than watches. Yeah. Um, maybe, you know, you, the only other thing you can compare it to would be women's fashion. Um, you know, in terms of the, the importance of design and and the incredible variety of it that's out there. So the exact same reasons I think that Apple got into watch market are exactly the reasons they'd get in the car market. And it's exactly the same reasons they got into the cell phone market. They're expensive. It's a market that's ripe for technical disruption in an area where Apple's expert. 
uh, and design matters. Well, and I, I would add, I guess the thing I would phrase about the technical disruption, I would refine it further to say, it's not just that there's technical disruption, it's that what used to be a mechanical object is becoming a computer, and Apple is a computer company. And a car today is a mechanical object with all these computers stacked on top of it. Like some models have like nearly 100 microprocessors. But right. if you think like the reason why there's 100 different ones that are all distinct and they all, you know, in why it's hard for a, a typical mechanic to even service a modern car is because they're all kind of tacked on, right? Yeah. They're tacked. But if you start with the assumption that an electric car is a computer with wheels attached, then it becomes very obvious that a computer company is going to is going to have an advantage in the long run. And that's the same with the phone. It it be, it was no longer a phone with, you know, calendar functionality or email yeah. functionality. It became a computer that could also make calls. And that 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 flipping of the paradigm is is what makes it an attractive market for Apple, for Google, for the you know, the the big software companies. Yeah, and I think you're exactly right. And your example that the 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 entrenched market leaders are the ones who have the hardest trouble zooming out far enough to go back and just start over. The the phone's best example that I can think of, and I know I've harped on this for years, is the fact that the iPhone doesn't have a green make a call button and a red hang up button. Yep. And I'm sure in fact I know I've mentioned it before and I think people have pointed there's you know there are certain phones that came out before that didn't have those things. Um, but very few. It is, you know, they're they they're way off in the corner of phone history. Every single mainstream cell phone that was ever made before the iPhone had in fact the colors almost never changed. They had a green button to make a call and a red button to hang up the call. Um so getting rid of those buttons was just like a huge and and really just relegating the phone to an app status, you know. And I've said this before too. I think in hindsight, I think if there's a mistake that Apple's made in the, you know, what's it been, eight years since the phone, I I feel I really wish that they would further reduce the magical nature of the um uh of the phone app. I don't want I would like to reduce an incoming phone call to the same sort of notification I get from anything else. Oh, totally. Well, why should it take over my screen and, and do, yeah. Like, sure, let it. I'll, let me set a ringtone. So if I have the volume on, it'll play the ringtone. But I don't want it to take over the whole screen. And if I have it on silent, I just want it to drop down a little window shade at the top. I really, phone calls are just not that important to me. So if anything, I feel like Apple has fallen behind in reducing the fact that uh, the phone should be just just an app. It still has a few magical features, you know, like when you get a phone call, the way it takes over, no matter what you're doing. But for the most part, they and I, I don't think any of the existing phone makers would have made that jump. No, I, I that that's exactly right. They could have, but they didn't. Right. Well, that's always the thing, and this is the this is why startups succeed and why incumbents fail. It like the incumbent t- usually has more experience, they have more capital, they have more money to invest, but all that pales in comparison to one your incentives. And two, your kind of preconceived notions. Like if you, if it, like when Microsoft came up, they, they if you want to characterize the OS or computer as like a square, like make it a physical object. Like they were motivated to make the most perfect square in the world that fit this new paradigm of, of a PC. The problem is when the phone came along, what you needed was a triangle. And Microsoft was so invested in everything about their corporation and everything about their organization and their incentives were were perfectly aligned to make the best squares in the world. 
which meant they viewed the triangle as a attempt to like they, they tried to push the square into it right whereas if you started from scratch with the with the triangle it's not just that you you are starting from the same place as Microsoft so you have an e- equal chance to them you actually have a better chance because it's you know what you're targeting and you don't have all that baggage and cruft um, you know, famously disruption, it's not just that Microsoft, there's a financial aspect where they want to keep the old financial stream, but it goes deeper than just finances. Yeah. It's like the very way people think like is conditioned for a certain view of the world. And it's incredibly difficult to break out of that, particularly in a large organization where this stuff is like is embedded deep in the culture and the way people think about things. Yeah. We just we've gone over ninety minutes, but I, I'm just going to call time out here, and I'm just going to say that the the remainder of the show doesn't count. <laughs> I want to take a moment here during this timeout, and I want to thank our third sponsor, and it's our good friends at Casper. Casper sells an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price, just the right sink, just the right bounce. They take two common technologies from modern mattresses: latex foam and memory foam, and they put them together for just the right version. You don't have to sit there and choose between four different mattress types. They, they've they figured out one that's great, and you just pick the size you want, and that's it. That's all you have to do. It, it is so easy. That, to me, is like the best thing about Casper, is that you don't have to sit there and think, well, do I want this one that has uh, more memory or the one that has more bounce or whatever? No, they just figured it out. They figured out the right, the right mix, and that's it. Um, Seems crazy. Seems even crazier than buying eyeglasses online. But they've got the same type thing. Look, you just call up. They send it to you. It's a risk-free trial. I think it's 100 days. It's something like that. Yeah, here it is, 100 days. You get 100 days with the thing. Buy a Casper mattress. 100 days. If you don't like it, ship it back to them. Their mattresses are made in America, uh, and their prices are just blow away good. Really, just remarkable. Go if you don't believe me, go to a mattress store and try to find uh, high quality mattresses at these prices. Five hundred bucks for a twin, nine fifty for a king, and all the sizes in between are, are you know in between five hundred and nine fifty. Um, it, it's an outstanding price point for uh, a really good mattress. Uh, I it just it still blows me away when I think about when I got they sent me one of these things uh, last year. It comes in a little box. You cannot believe that there is a full size mattress in this little box, uh, and it's got instructions. Uh, kind of weighs as much as you'd think a mattress would weigh, but it is an incredibly small box because it doesn't have springs and stuff like that. That stuff is like ancient technology. It's all just foam, and they just I don't know somehow vacuum pack it into this thing. So you put it in a room where you want the mattress. That's the most important thing. Listen to the box, and then you open the box the right way, and it's just it makes cool noise um, that I won't try to replicate as it just sucks in the air, and then all of a sudden, boom, you've got a mattress in your room. Uh, it, it feels like you're living in Back to the Future or something like the future of Back to the Future where uh, you, know, you put a little pizza in the thing, and 10 seconds later, you got a full pizza, uh, except instead of a pizza, it's a mattress. Does that make sense? I hope so. Uh, could not be an easier way. I've got a whole bunch of tweets. I've been retweeting them. People are, are like buying these things, and they all say the same thing when they tweet. They're like, I thought it was crazy to buy a mattress online, but I've been listening to this thing uh, on the talk show, and I did it, and it is. It's a great mattress. 
I think, and I don't have this here in front of me. This could not, this might not still be true, but I believe it was it was true for a while. At least that if you live in Manhattan, you can get a Casper mattress delivered same day by some cat uh, on a bicycle, which is crazy, absolutely crazy. Uh, so just dial it up um, at what is their website? I think it's Casper.com, but I do know the code. The code is the Talk Show, and you'll get fifty bucks off by using. That code. So go to Casper.com, use the code the talk show, and you'll save fifty bucks off. So uh, my thanks to them. Um, let's wrap it up. We got to wrap this thing up because uh, timeouts can only last so long. Uh, <laughs> I have one last thing that I wanted to um, uh, talk about, and that was this Amazon thing in New York, New York Times. Do you see yeah. this? I did. I, I I wrote a lot of a lot. I wrote two daily updates and an article. Um, yeah. I, I so I, first off, the, I haven't written about it at all. <laughs> so I'll let you talk. <laughs> um, well, first off, there was an article just today going on Twitter about someone who used to work for Amazon who uh, left on maternity leave and got cancer at the same time. Yeah, and I saw that. Both got cut off from her insurance. And which was claimed to be a, 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 a mistake. And then when it came back, like all her direct parts, reports were gone and she was basically marginalized and resigned a few months later, uh, which, you know, certainly. And so I think just to be clear, that sort of behavior and all the kind of anecdotal allegations of treating someone with a miscarriage poorly, the cancer patient, like that's abhorrible and, and deserves to be condemned the strongest possible terms. And, I will say uh, I believe that it happened because if you're in an environment where they're pushing so hard, uh, if you're if you're running right up to the line, like you're going to go over it sometimes. So I actually uh, tend to believe that there there is there is some truth to that stuff. Um, so that 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 aside, just to be super clear, that's that that shouldn't be tolerated. Um, and I hope that this will produce changes. Uh, secondly, though. The, the the issue I had with the New York Times article specifically was, and this sounds really like like silly, but was the tone of it. Like there's all these kind of throwaway lines like, oh, you know, make, like, basically kind of mocking the person who, who was so excited about getting a frozen doll to someone or like, oh, they're working so hard so you can get scotch tape. Like it was kind of the 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 snark and the disdain that and the condescension that I felt it had that really rubbed me the wrong way. And the reason it did was um, the, the fact of the matter is I, I know a lot of people that work at Amazon. I lived in Seattle. I personally chose not to work at Amazon because I had a family uh, and it's not great for that by all accounts. Everyone knows that. But on the flip side of where had I been single, I think I would have loved the opportunity. Like I love the idea of an environment where there you're like, you should challenge something. If you think something's wrong, you stand up. If somebody gives a bad presentation, you tell them it's a bad presentation. That happened to me at Apple. I got like totally torn apart one time at Apple. And like, I think I did cry at my cry at my desk. And you know what? I came back and it, it led to me doing some of the best work I've done in my career. And not only that, it it instilled in me the understanding that you can dig deeper and go down a deeper level and get something better. And I think that plays out in what I do today, like in really wanting to deliver something beyond and I can trace it back to that happening. And I'm pretty hesitant to, all these people are paid very well. They they all choose to work there. They could all get jobs somewhere else. 
and I'm a little hesitant on my high horse and tell and like say that I need to take care of them and what they do. If you want to talk to me about Amazon's warehouse workers, I'm happy to have the conversation because they're I, in a much worse position. Yeah. But the white collar workers, um, I, that kind of aspect irked me about, about the article. Yeah. I, you've covered everything I wanted to cover and put, kind of put your finger on it better than me. And I, to me, it was the, the I, I hear what you're saying about the condens condensation, uh, uh, about like, yeah, like you said, like, you know, that they're working, they're busting their asses for 20 hours a day, uh, answering emails after midnight to send, you know, uh, scotch tape to people overnight or to, you know, do it in one day instead of two. Um, and I agree with that. And I feel like that's sort of like saying that New York Times writers are busting their asses to send pulped up dead trees to people the next every morning, 365 <laughs> right, exactly. days a year. You're kind of missing the point. Uh, it does make people happy when they have a good experience with Amazon, right? Where you're like, you know, you're, some pair of boots breaks and you can get like the exact right pair of replacement shoelaces and they're there the next day. That's actually right. really cool. Like, whereas like in, you know, pre Amazon or if Amazon doesn't have what you're looking for, like, where do you go to get a specific kind of shoelaces? Like in the real world, like they've made the world a better place. And I know there's other places where you can buy shoelaces than Amazon, but Amazon's often the place I go to first. So I, it's, I it's the thing we start at the beginning. Like if you have a great service experience, like it actually brightens yeah. your whole day. That thing you order something at Amazon, it shows up a day early. Like it's, it's cool. It, it, and it's okay that it's cool. Like we're, we're humans. Like not everything has to be like our eating our vegetables. Yeah. And the other thing that really got me about it was the way that they, I thought the article really conflated entirely different aspects of it. Like, and exactly what you said, if there are HR problems, like, like a, a lack of tolerance, you know, poor, poor, poor responses after a maternity leave or a, an illness leave or something like that, that's really bad. I mean, that's over the line and it really, it's like a red alert going off, you know, like that's like a siren should be flashing. If it's that you you had a crummy idea or a poorly thought through idea and you were told this is a crummy idea and it's poorly thought through, that's harsh. And I've been there. I mean, I think everybody has. I mean, I've been there. It hurts, but it's you know the way it works. And I don't know how that's different than other companies. How is that different than Pixar, which has a famously ruthless, uh, not ruthless meaning mean or personal, but just in terms of being really, really hard to get a story through. And that every, yep. they always say over and over and over again, everything starts with story. And they have this story-making process that's entirely collaborative. And you have to keep coming back to the same group of your colleagues and peers and presenting your story. And they're going to pick it apart and tell you everything that's wrong with it. And you keep coming back. That's how they make Pixar movies. Like Pixar movies don't get made and they don't have the track record that they have of one hit after another by having story meetings where they want to make sure that whoever is presenting feels good coming out of it. Oh, totally. No, I mean, there and Apple too. I mean, there's that anecdote. I actually, when I was at Apple, I got to hear Johnny Ive speak, and he shared it then. But it was repeated in that New Yorker article where John, you know, I think it was coming out of a meeting, and either job, I was asking Jobs why he was so critical, or I've confided in Jobs that he was disappointed in the presentation. As I heard it in the story, it was I've confided in Jobs that he was disappointed in the presentation, um, and and Jobs said to him like that was a very selfish thing to do. And I was like, what? Like I was trying to be nice to the guy yeah. and, and, and jobs was like, no, you were trying to make him like you. 
Like right. you were concerned about him not liking you if you were honest about the mistake. He's like, and actually you're doing him an incredible disservice and you're doing a company a disservice and you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> and and I was like, like it just told, like he was super pissed at jobs. He's, he was saying, but it, like it totally transformed the way he yeah. viewed his job and what he did. Like yeah. if he wasn't honest with what was in front of him, he was doing everyone a disservice in the pursuit of wanting people to like him. And like, and that was just deadly for him and for the company and, and all that. And, and I mean, Bezos says he doesn't want to be like Microsoft. People about Microsoft being this, this infighting and, and all this backbiting and stuff. The reality is the old Microsoft, at least legend has it back in the nineties when Gates was there, vicious right. and vicious in a, like, this sucks. Like go like it should have yeah. been better. And Frankly, when I was there, the issue that I had with Microsoft was uh, the, the like I <laughs> the reason I didn't get promoted my first year was I was told my what was great, but my how was poor. Like basically, I was told I was too blunt, and I and like people like felt uncomfortable with my what I said in meetings, and and like and so that what happened was you do get the backbiting and viciousness because that always exists because we're humans, but that all happens back channels and behind the scenes. Right. And yeah. the, this is what like far better it happened in the open than in these back channels. And where Microsoft, I think, has gone gone wrong in some respects is all that viciousness never went away. It just got taken off the top table mm. and being visible to everyone and got stuffed underneath. And then you get this toxic environment that um, I mean, needless to say, I, <laughs> I left it for two years. Um, but I don't know. Sorry, that was a bit of a rant. No, that's all right. One thing I remember uh, uh, as a last thought is I took a screenwriting class in college, and I enjoyed it greatly. And it was taught by uh, a guy who used to work on ALF, and he worked on a bunch of, P you know, everything from, from PBS shows that were totally serious to, uh, like, the ALF Saturday morning cartoon show. Um, and he said that, you know, we had these crits every week. Everybody would, you'd have to hand in your, your writing on a certain day, and then there were copies, this is pre-digital <laughs> and everybody got a copy at the end right. of class and then you'd have to read it for the next class and then we would each we'd have a crit and everybody would discuss each other's work and he said this is how how hollywood works you criticize the work not the the writer it's not right. personal you don't say you should have done this you talk about like the character should have said this or the dialogue isn't right you don't say you know like if you and i had both written something and i i wouldn't say Ben, you did a crappy job with the dialogue here. You just say, this line of dialogue doesn't ring true to me. It doesn't sound like something that this character would say. It's the work, not the person. That doesn't mean it doesn't hurt when you walk away and you know that you've got a, a marked up screenplay that's full of really, really astute criticism, but it's not personal. Right. Especially if you've invested yourself in the screenplay. And that's where, where it's tough, right? Yeah. Because the best work comes when you put yourself into it. Yeah. And so it, to be able to manage someone criticizing your work, and they may be doing it correctly, but you identify so deeply with yeah. them that it's hard to handle. I get that. And um yeah, no, we're. I think we're on the same page. You, I get the also the extra hours thing, but again, these are these are adults making well into the six figures, particularly include stock compensation. Like that's for that's for them. That's for them to decide. And the the truth is, I don't know anyone who works at a successful tech company, particularly either one that Apple and Amazon kind of they compete on the user experience, which requires that much more perfection and attention to detail or the early stage of any company when they're building their competitive advantage that doesn't i mean and maybe this is part of people's reaction maybe they don't want they don't want to admit that there's a choice i mean yeah. i i do believe you can't have it all like yeah. 
you can't be an attentive father or an attentive husband and be a senior vice president at Amazon. I don't think it's possible or Apple for that matter. And it's something that I don't think we like to talk about because we like to think about Apple being this great company or Amazon being this great company. We love their products. We don't want to like, like, I think there's an aspect of guilt almost that comes with these articles and is part of why people react so, so strongly to them. Yeah. I agree with that completely. Ben Thompson, I thank you for your time. People can find more of your writing at uh, stratechery.com. Yes. And I and season two of Exponent uh, will be the next episode will be coming out next week. So I'm back back in the podcast chair. That is your podcast co-hosted with uh, James Allworth. Yes, and you guys talk about basketball. And... <laughs> no, I, 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 we talk about basketball to the extent where I make fun of James for having no idea about any sort of sport. No. Did you see that uh, though? That um, uh, what's his name uh, is back on Twitter and uh, uh, the guy who got fired from ESPN, uh, Bill Simmons. Yeah, Bill Simmons, and he yeah, he's, he called out Steve Ballmer as yeah being that, over his head on the Clippers. Yep, that was that. I was cannot believe I just intriguing. blanked on Bill Simmons' name. That's what happens when you're 90 minutes into a podcast. <laughs> anyway, hey. thank you. I will let you go and uh, uh, talk to you soon. I look forward to hearing the next episode of uh, of your show. Well, sounds good. I will see you soon. All right.